On today's episode of the podcast, we will pay tribute to Jimmy Butler. 56 points. Are you kidding me? I'm going to talk about Jimmy Butler a lot, and he deserves even more than I give him. He talk about him so much, we might not even really get to Lakers-Memphis all that much. Okay, so we've got that part of it. We'll talk some Jimmy Butler and NBA playoffs and Charles Barkley stories and Shaquille O'Neal stories with Adam Lefko of TNT. We'll recap Succession. We'll recap me going to fish for the first time in like 20 years, I think. Oh, that's right. There is one other mysterious show that I don't recap. And life advice. Enjoy. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm not even going to do Tales from the Couch uh, out of respect to Jimmy Butler. This should all be about Jimmy Butler. It's going to be about 95% of Jimmy Butler not knocking the Lakers or anything like that because I have more to say on that series and we still have some work to do on that one. But 56 points from Jimmy Butler. Last night, the Heat's win. They're now up 3-1 on the Milwaukee Bucks. Jimmy Butler now is ranked number one on my – I have this ranking as well. It's called the That Motherfucker Ranking. I'm sorry to swear so early at the top of the podcast. I know as some of the parents are commuting with the kids, earmuffs. Uh, I'm, I'm try, I'll try not to do it again so soon. I didn't give you much of a heads up. But it needs to be said. It needs to be vulgar. It needs to be violent. Uh, it needs to be all of those things because that's who Jimmy Butler is. Giannis has always kind of been my number one guy for those rankings. And look, he can kind of, I don't know how official these are, so I wouldn't get too worried about it. Uh, Raymond Felton at times has been number one, because as I've said numerous times, Raymond Felton has the epitome with uh, of the, I slept with your mom face. Uh, that's just whenever I saw Raymond Felton make any facial expression, the first thing I thought of was like, that's, that's what his face looks like. Um, but he wasn't as good as those other two guys. So the rankings again, not super scientific. So 56 points for Jimmy Butler. That's tied for the fourth most ever in a playoff game in NBA history. Michael Jordan, 63 back in 86. They lost that game. I can't even imagine what that'd be like today. Like, Oh yeah, but he still lost. All right, cool. Uh, Elgin Baylor, 61. Donovan Mitchell, not that long ago, 57. Charles Barkley, 56 points in 1994 against the Warriors. And now Jimmy Butler in that group of 56. Michael Jordan, by the way, 50 or more points in the playoffs. Eight times. Eight times. Eight of them. So I'll, I'm just going to take you through how like I experienced it. Uh, Butler, 22 points in the first quarter. And when the game started, like I thought Milwaukee was winning that game as much as any single playoff game so far. I'm like, look, okay, enough of this. 
Milwaukee's going to win. It's going to be 2-2. Giannis is back. And I know that physically at times it looked like he was struggling a bit. And then they had that weird leg thing. I just think the playoffs are tough. I mean, a lot of guys are going to be feeling things. And I know specific to him falling on his back like that and missing so much time already in this series. But I don't really like that as an excuse. I also think a lot of players are very demonstrative in the way they're kind of feeling their pain. I think basketball players do that a lot. And it's not necessarily even a knock. Like I'm not talking about exaggerating, but it's just you'll notice with certain players, it's like, man, he just he's constantly on the that player's face that he's struggling the whole time. So in that first quarter, Bam gets his second personal foul almost immediately. And you're like, all right, this is exactly what the Heat need in this one. But Butler gets Giannis kind of on a dump, right? It's not like full blown on him. But Giannis is coming over to help, which, again, credits Giannis for being one of the few stars that would actually go to the rim to challenge somebody when they have the angle on him. And Butler throws down that dunk, and you're like, okay, all right. He goes for 22 points in the first quarter. And I cannot, like, his effort level in this quarter, where very early on it felt like, all right, this is going to be 2-2 here in two hours. It's 33-28. And I'm like, is this, is this really happening? Is this seriously going to happen? And here's another thing I loved about Jimmy Butler. As exhausted as he was, and he was spent at the first quarter, at the end of the first quarter. And right before the first quarter was actually over, there was a little break in play, and you could see Butler, and you're like, that guy's going Della Vadova here in 2015. Like, he's, he's dying. And there was a play where he was off the ball, and I'm like, will he move? Will he cut? to the middle to try to help out on this possession, knowing that he's still the best option, but he was just this exhausted. And I'm like, a lot of guys would just kind of stand there and be like, I just don't have it on this one possession. We're in the game, whatever. And the guy ran to the middle. He ran to the middle, gave a hard cut off the ball, kind of on the backside of it. And just that effort alone, I was like, I can't believe it was the smallest thing. I'm like, I can't believe he even made that cut. As, as exhausted as he was. So it's 33-28. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And it's 57-50 at the half. I'm like, is this, again, I'm sitting at home going like, is this seriously happening? But Butler was so tired after the first quarter, he only scored two points in the second quarter. I thought Butler was still gassed in the third quarter. That's with a halftime break because of how hard he went in the first. He ends up with 11 points in the third quarter. But, There's a Giannis element to this. If we run through some of the third quarter play-by-play and scoring where I started to feel like, okay, he's back in the way that he's back. Like Giannis's physicality, we talk about Steph's gravity, his shooting pulls everyone, his cuts, all of that stuff. Giannis's physicality is his gravity. The same way all the stuff that we look at with Steph and how he pulls everything. Let's go over some plays. Um, Miami basically helps off every corner on the Giannis side of the drive which isn't always the rule. Different teams have different rules. Some are more standard than others. Every time with Giannis, you're helping. You don't care. You'll leave the shooter. Is it every single time? You know what I'm saying here, right? Uh, There was another play where Giannis is at the three-point line. It looks like he may initiating something. Bam, and another player stay with Giannis. He throws it down to Lopez for two. All right? Uh, 81-68. Lopez, who had 36 points in this game, by the way, Hits a step-back jumper against Kevin Love. Love is like in complete disbelief, right? And at that point at 81-68, I'm like, okay, all right, we're back to normal here. You do know basketball a little bit. 
Um, another basket after that. Giannis is lost underneath the basket. All right, and lost is probably not the right way to describe it, but he's under the basket. He's at the baseline. Three players are on him. Somebody has left the corner. Somebody else has left the big man, and then his initial defender. He actually, whether it was a fake to the corner or a no look and then pass to Portis, it's an incredible pass because it looks like he's stuck. Like, what's going to happen? What's he doing? He's under the basket, and yet he gives a look and a slight hesitation where the defenders don't even know what to do, and then Portis just rolls in behind everybody for the easy layup. 94-83. Uh, to stay with Giannis in a zone. The pressure is so high up on Giannis in a zone that Brooke Lopez and Pat Connaughton are two versus one against Zeller, where either one of them could have done whatever he wanted. Um, the next possession, four stayed with Giannis. All right, four guys all took a step towards Giannis as he went to initiate the offense. He throws it to Pat Connaughton for a wide-open three. It was a miss. But it was just staggering to, like, to watch it back in slow motion going, look at that, four guys all looking at him. Um, there was a three-man Miami wall. Lopez knows the wall is stepping up to Giannis as he's past the free-throw line. Lopez knows exactly what's going to happen. It's an amazing cut by him. He scores 98-85. Butler comes back in at 8-11 in the fourth quarter, 98-87. Now, with the 11 points in the third quarter, you're feeling like, all right, he's, he's back. But how much is he going to have left? Well, he had it all left. It's 101-89 with six minutes left. Butler scores 20 of his 22 points in the fourth quarter from that moment on. He outscored Milwaukee to close the game by himself, 20-13. to 13. Now, we could go back and play the game of, like, what did Milwaukee do wrong schematically? What could they have done different? Is Bud a little too stubborn and all that stuff? I thought it was pretty simple. I'm watching this game for, like, an hour and a half just expecting Milwaukee to win. I think that's what they thought was going to happen. I, yeah, serious. And you start getting tired. You start going for all those Jimmy Butler fakes. You have to stay super disciplined with him. You can't leave your feet. You can't lean. He's going to get you. It wasn't about the free throws last night for Butler because of all the other buckets that he had. But I think it's pretty simple. Milwaukee's like, all right, we got this. And they didn't have it. They didn't have it. Milwaukee has the best player. They have the better depth. They have overwhelming size advantage. The point guard is better, although you want to talk about not getting a ton of shit for some bad shooting playoff performances. I submit Drew Holiday. He has some duds, man. Like he'll have a couple games where you're like, whoa, but that's the thing for Drew, which is kind of good for him, right? Like, man, we should talk about Drew Holiday more. You want to be, all right, you want to go into that group? You're awesome. You're really good. Everybody would love to have you. But when there's other dudes on the team that are higher profile players than you, you can have a six for 18 and a six for 19. He had, in com combined from three in games one and four, he's four of 20 from three. And he doesn't get to the free throw line at all. He has seven assists in the last two games after having 27 in the first two. So will he turn it around at some point? I don't know. But go back to some of the other game log stuff. Not to say there aren't other stars with bad shooting nights, but Drew never gets any heat for any of it. So best player, depth, the size advantage, point guard. Milwaukee, I believe, has five of the top seven players in this. Miami is 25th on offense this regular season. 25th, 112-plus points per 100 possessions. The teams that they're in that group with, 
from 25th down, Orlando, Houston, Detroit, San Antonio, Charlotte. Not in the playoffs. Not up 3-1 on Milwaukee. I am on record for years now that the regular season and playoffs, like I don't think we've ever seen a bigger gap, okay? But it shouldn't be this big. It shouldn't be this big. Miami loses to Atlanta. They get smashed in the rebounds. That's not even a game. And I'm like, yeah, here we go. They're down to Chicago in the fourth quarter, right? They're down a point, about 346. Kobe White hit that huge three. Again, there's still plenty of time left in that game. But I was like, all right. Miami went on a 15-1 run to close that game out. I don't like the four-game sample size in the playoffs. I think it can be a little like interesting. I used it with Sacramento against Golden State because of Sacramento's defense being so bad. And be like, hey, Golden State, this kind of offense, you've held up somewhat here defensively in these first two games. But again, it's two games. Even four games into the playoffs, I don't like it. Miami's got the best offense. That means Milwaukee has the worst defense. I realize that Milwaukee's only had Giannis for 49 minutes of the 192 in this playoff series so far, okay? A major factor. But you have to win last night's game. You have to win last night's game if you're actually a championship contender. So does that write them off? No. When you look at the FanDuel odds for the teams to come back down 3-1, it's not even that great value to bet Milwaukee down 3-1 in this series. Everyone watching it, I think, feels the same way. And yet, Miami's up 3-1 because of Jimmy Butler, despite all of those factors. That's an incredible, it's one of the best playoff performances we've ever seen. And to this point, it's the most surprising storyline that we've maybe had in the NBA this season. Out of respect to Jimmy Butler, I'm not going to do a full-blown recap of Lakers-Memphis because I have a lot to say about Memphis. Uh, the positive from last night would be LeBron, 20 boards, 20 seasons in, 45 minutes, the game-tying layup, the way he hit that, knowing he was going to have to throw it off because Jaron Jackson Jr. was actually in the paint or a previous block from Jackson. He had Anthony Davis out in the corner which doesn't really make a ton of sense, but it wasn't like they weren't going to play Anthony Davis, although he was holding his rib cage for the entire second half. He wasn't very good. Injury probably a factor. Up Them up 3-1. I wonder what his status would even be for game five. But LeBron, as we've seen multiple times in this series, has had to go into a mode, which I don't even know that his default mode is like, I got to go ahead and do this. But the game-tying layup was incredible because he knew that Jackson was coming. The way he hit rejected a shot earlier before Ja gets the layup, throws it back out to Bain. And at that point, I'm like, wait, Memphis is going to win this game. So there was a lot of little things in it, but I don't want to go through it all because I want to talk either Lakers uh, and I will when this thing is over and even maybe more so the obit on Memphis and who this team thinks they are and who they really are. I'm fine in the West. I'm going to have some time for Memphis uh, when this is over. You know, this team that has uh, has a lot of things about it that that we liked when they were younger and fun. But the, I'm fine in the West, and I know they're dealing with their injuries too. But for Dylan Brooks to go through his act, then blame the media, and then not talk to the media last night, and Ja not talk to the media, which means now your teammates have to talk to the media about all your shit. Uh, this is a really interesting kind of, place in the timeline for this Memphis group where you just chalk up the injuries young and all that stupid stuff, you know, like they're come back with the same guys and all that. I'm not, I'm not being that dramatic about it, but like they've gone from like fun to unlikable in, in a really short amount of time. Um, and it's not just because they're down to the Lakers because 
you know, this series could have gone either way. And as it plays out, you're like, wow, they just don't even have enough for them. Um, the reason I'm not going to get too into it, as I said, because I wanted to give Butler all the space that he needed, uh, because that was actually not the worst NBA interaction last night. Memphis going now, we don't even want to talk after they lost, which they've done in the past before in some other big spots. Nick Claxton has the award, at least for this week. Have you seen his IG post? So um, I don't know how you know locked in the listeners are. You know the Nets were swept, right? They were swept by the Philadelphia 76ers first round. That means four games. It's best of seven, so you first team to win four. Philadelphia won four, and they won four in a row because the Nets won zero. And Nick Claxton, we saw that interaction from game three in the series where Claxton stepped over Embiid, and then Embiid kicked him. People wanted to throw it out, whatever. Um, stop stepping over, guys, by the way. I'm not saying everybody should be kicked, but you know what's happening. Speaking of stepping over people, there's, I think, two different like pickup hoops phone ads going around right now. I only see these ads 700 times a day. But there's a play where there's a woman who's shooting in the corner, and then she steps over the defender. To just, you know, this is how we do it. I think that defender falls down on purpose. Not a stunt man. I've seen it a bunch. I think he falls down on purpose. All right. So back to Nick Claxton's post on IG. The post is him standing over Embiid. And the caption is standing on business. What the fuck? You got swept. You averaged 10 and 8 in the series. I really like Nick Claxton. I think I'd take a Nick Claxton on my team. You got ejected in game three, up eight with nine minutes to go. I aspire, I'll never get there. I aspire to be this delusional. He'd make a perfect grizzly, is all I'm saying. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. I feel like I know this guy, and I think a lot of NBA fans would say the same. Adam Lefko, TNT, he's doing a lot of stuff with Bleacher Report as well, Gridiron for the draft, so that'll be coming up. We'll maybe hit that a little bit later, but uh, morning, Adam. Thanks for doing this. How are you? It's, uh, it's a pleasure, man. This is uh, it's so cool, and I just want to say really quick, when you went on that rant years ago where you were like, I feel like I'm doing this the right way and I'm watching all the tape and I'm, and I'm that resonated with me so much. And I just wanted to say thanks. Cause like my journey of like local news and like grinding and all this stuff, I just, I've always looked at you as someone that actually does the work. And so to kind of be on this podcast right now is uh, is really special, man. So good to meet you. 
Yeah, I I want to talk about your career because it's my favorite thing when I was, you know, doing a little Google research today and it was like, holy shit, the first question that comes up and it's just so funny and you can probably even guess what it is. Uh, but that's a weird tease. Let's talk about Jimmy <laughs> Butler. It's it's where I started the pod today. I felt like out of respect to him, I almost didn't want to talk about other things. He's he's a weird case. It's almost like the Madison Bumgarner of the, of the NBA, where mm. at no point are you saying like Bumgarner's the number one pitcher you would want. But then when the lights were on, when it mattered the most, he had a stretch where you're like, you have to be kidding me. Now, granted, he ended up with a championship. I'd still be shocked to see Miami do something like this. But what Butler did last night is, you know, the hyperbole that we can have around certain things it does not apply here. That was one of the all-time playoff appearances, especially when we're talking about who the Heat are in comparison to this Milwaukee team and the way it's playing out so far. He played at such a level that I was like, did they purposefully lose that play-in game to the Hawks because they they knew they wanted... Like, it doesn't make sense. As a, as a very unabashed uh, Philadelphia fan, I still have him being like, you paid, paid to bias over me. And that's what was, and then he ends the game and he's like, Embiid's the MVP. And then Embiid's calling him MF and Butler. Like it was, it's, I always am conflicted watching him, but I, every time we start the Tuesday show, so we start our episodes like in January, which is right before the all-star game. I always, when it comes to like predicting the all-star rosters, go, hey, I know that Jimmy Butler isn't going to make these teams, but we're all going to look really dumb at the end of the year when he doesn't make it. I had him second team all NBA. Um, what he was after the all-star break, number one in true shooting percentage over Jokic, over Embiid. But dude, like playoff Jimmy is a thing. and And that's also why... This, the game after the playoff Jimmy game, I always like to bet against Jimmy. So I hate to be the dude like raining on his parade right now. But like I went back and looked in Jimmy's career when he has scored 35 or more and then played in the next game and they won that game and then played in the next game. They're one and six. They've lost by an average of 11 points per game. And he averages about 22 points per game because it's not just Jimmy offensively. Like it's Jimmy shutting down the best guy and you're watching a dude for 40 plus minutes. And, and when you sit there and you go, he's top five. And so I have no doubt that Milwaukee is going to smash Miami in this next game. And they're going to go back to Miami. Um, the question will be, can he do it again? He did it twice against Boston. He did it twice against the Lakers. Um, but I, I don't want to take away from what he did because I don't know how we're going to remember Jimmy historically. But it when you see it, it is special. Yeah, because we are upset. I'm obsessed with the top five thing, right? Like as much as I love the draft, I always think it's kind of funny when the guy's coming out and it'll be like, well, you know, if this guy hits his ceiling, he could be the number one on a really good team. And you're like, wait a minute. We we get like, if you look at the math of it, and if the 450, 480 guys that end up suiting up, like there's like five. So mm. we're probably not getting two in the same draft, even though it can, you know, historically happen. And so with Butler, whenever I do the list of like the one guy that comes in and completely changes who you are and allows you to compete for a championship, he's never on it for me, which feels stupid because then you see what he did last night. I still, this is like year two for me with Miami where even last year, I'm like, how are they still winning these games? How mm. is this happening? Because like, whenever I think about the Atlanta-Philly series from two years ago when Atlanta won in the second round to play Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals, there could be these times where you're like, okay, but did you see when the other team was up? Like when they won, they smashed him. 
they had all these leads. They blew these leads. Like the series went however it went. And the team advanced, mm. but it felt like a different team was was better. The team that lost it was better. And yet Miami, trailing the entire game, can have Butler single-handedly do this. To I a turned team it off. Went, no, you didn't. I was like, I was like, uh, no, 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 hold on. I turned it off for the beginning, the 13-0 stretch. I was like, let me go watch The Spy on Netflix for like 20 minutes before I come back and watch Lakers Grizzlies. And then I got a BR alert that was like heat coming back. And I was like, you got, I felt so dumb. So like I turned it back on, I rewound, because I had a record, I rewound it. And I was like, what is going on? I, the thing about this heat team, because we had a lot of heat games on Tuesday nights, is I was like, let me look at last year compared to this year. They were number one in the NBA last year in three-point percentage. And I think they were 27th in this year. And the Duncan Robinson thing has become a meme. But I think in the playoffs, they're shooting like 47% right now from three. And how much do you make on that on Spolstra? The fact that like Spolstra is about to pass Red Auerbach in like career playoff wins is insane. Um, but I'm just thinking about what it... It doesn't make sense. But the NBA, you're like, it's a seven-game series. We avoid crazy, uh, weird outliers. Not this Miami team, man. It's it, And I, I don't want to give all the credit to Heat culture, but I don't know what else to attribute it to. Well, Heat culture is making a big comeback uh, in just in general because <laughs> it was I loved making fun of it. I couldn't stand it. And, you know, Sedano, who's my buddy, who I've always joked, like when Sedano and Lebetard had to show the radio lineup, the daily radio lineup, I ended up hating the Heat way more just by listening mm. to those two shows, even though I like both shows. I would just be like, you guys are out of control with like this idea that because Pat Riley watches over practice and wants conditioning, that there's just something different. And then when I go through the talent of these two teams, I was like, man, Heat culture like is actually, I love making fun of it, but Man, it's uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to write it off at this point. The Spo thing is real. All those things mm. are real. But like, what I want to get your perspective on is that when you're sitting there on the TNT desk with the former players, who like sometimes I want to completely defer to them, and then other times I'm like, yeah. "What are you talking about?" There's no way, even though you played, that I would agree with you on something like this. Maybe it's an in the moment thing, but I feel like all the former players have an awe of Jimmy Butler that far outshines the way the media feels about him. A hundred percent. Like the fact that Chuck calls him Jimmy MF and Butler, like the fact that, because look, man, when the season's going on and it's a random Tuesday or Thursday night, you know, they're watching a lot of things other than the game too. And I would agree with you. Like when Shaq is like talking about a star, I'm like, I don't know how much he can even relate to some of these guys. Cause he was so dominant that like, when he looks at Embiid and he's like, he should have 35 and 15 every game. And you're like, okay, like, I know you're going to say that. But um, Jimmy I and mean, Jamal Crawford is, is always somebody that has just such a high level basketball IQ. And when he talks about Jimmy, he just, he's so, he just, he'll just sit there with me and he'll just spotlight all of the different moments that I'm not even seeing as a novice basketball watcher. And he can see the game at just a different level. But um, I think last night was one of those moments they come back. Uh, I'm watching Ernie because I just studied that dude. And he immediately was like, we need to talk about heat bucks. And just the way that they were just shaking their heads and giving him praise. I can see it in their eyes when it's genuine. And I can see because it it is different, man. Like there are there are times where we've been sitting on the desk and somebody puts up 40 and they're not impressed. Like they're just not. 
And that was a performance last night where Chuck has a different look on his face. Kenny's shaking his head. And when Shaq gives you praise, it is rare because he doesn't like doing it. He believes because he grew up in a military household and he had people like Kareem do it to him younger in his career. He truly believes that it is his responsibility to motivate young players. And I've accused him of being a hater. He's done it to Donovan Mitchell. He's done it to Embiid. He genuinely believes that he is helping them. And sometimes I'm like, okay, this is just ego. But then they get on after the game and they say thank you to him. And now I don't know what to believe. But in in these world for these athletes where like they're constantly praising them, Shaq believes it is his job to like humble them, to build them up. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, (laughs) just because I'm like, I think Shaq, I think guys are very protective of their era, but Mm. I don't like when the TNT crew gets lumped into like, oh, they're just a bunch of haters dumping on this generation because you know, what's funny is like everybody looks at that show and goes, that's the show. I want my studio show to be like this show. I think the funny thing is, is like, I'll see other shows trying to be like that show and it's way worse. Like, Hey, I'd rather you just not be good doing it at different way than not being as good trying to show how loose you are it's funny because like chuck yelling to the commercial break was natural and ernie and now you at times has to learn that like i'm just going to get trampled like i don't have the traditional host rules like none of it matters ernie can even be annoyed certain nights even though at this point you think he'd be used to it because it still sucks to have somebody in your ear and you're tossing a break and you're trying to get the toss right and the guys don't give a shit but it's worth the natural. And then I'll see other broadcasts like kind of do this thing going to break where it looks like they're trying to mimic this casual thing to it. And it's a they all just train. start yelling. Right. And it's a train wreck. And it's like, no, it's not. And then the, the thing like back to the initial point is that I'll see some of these other shows with different sports where they want it to be just like the TNT show. Right. And it's like, yeah, but here's the difference. No one is as comfortable criticizing the product, especially when it needs to be criticized, and at times overly critical and unfair because of a generational thing. You can't get mad Mm. at the TNT crew for looking like haters at times because they're the only property that doesn't care about, well, I shouldn't say doesn't care about the relationship, is not in fear of the relationship. And that's why they have the advantage and the fact they actually just let the crew be the same crew for multiple years at a time. And so whenever I hear like, oh, there's just those old heads out there doing this again, I'm like, at least it exists because it doesn't exist on any of the other studio shows with any of the other sports. All right. So I love this because like I love I could getting do, really meta about I could my do an career. hour on this. So go ahead. <laughs> so uh, the first thing I was going to say is that Chuck I can tell believes it's more important to be honest with his audience than it is to please his bosses, whether those bosses are the network or the NBA, because that's what suited him for so long. When I took, when I got this gig, I remember sitting down for like months at a time and being like, how am I going to approach this? My number one rule is I never want to be the guy that's like, guys, we got to get back on track. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Um, but at the same point, like, dude, I like sat with comedy writers and and listened to them talk about how it's important as the host to set guardrails because it's even more funny when people go over them. And so now I've like opened my eyes to it where like I've watched classic clips where Chuck says outlandish things. And right beforehand, Ernie goes, don't do it. Don't say it. And then Chuck says it. And that's the reason why it goes over the top because 
what you're saying about four people on set yucking it up, if they're all trying to be funny, it's not funny. And so that's been, that was been something that I've really tried to work on, which is like, it's not about me. Even though my mom texts me afterwards and goes, you were great tonight. And then like, you know, your friends are like, man, you're killing it. It's not about me. Like if Dan Patrick said this to me, man, it's, you're trying to be John Stockton player wise. You, you, you want, you want 10 points, but 15 assists. You know, get get one in there, but like it's all about them. And that was like a, a really nice reminder every night. Um, but to what you said, I, I just think every show needs to realize that they are their own show and that you have to work to the talent around you and what they're really good at. Jamal it has a relationship with every player in the NBA that has been coming up. He's been a mentor for them. How can I get him in that position? When it was Wade, Wade had battles with every star. How do I get him to story time? Candace is really good at breaking things down. And what she's so good at is how do I defend a player? So when we're covering Luca, I like to, like, she'll yell while we're watching. He's going left and pulling up. And it's like every time. And so she's the scouting report. So I'm trying to think when we're coming up with the show, how do I access that part of her brain? And I know that Shaq wants to go viral every segment. So I'm I'm sometimes going to say things that I know he could take to an immature place uh, or uh, allow him to just kind of really be the the older brother of the NBA. But I, I agree with what you're saying. There are so many shows that are trying to be something. And I think it's, Figure out what is unique. Figure out what you what you can do. I don't think we're there yet. Um, but Chuck, Chuck, we I was drinking with Chuck one night, and he said, um, "Hey man, just remember, the moon doesn't compete with the sun. You know, we can both be in the sky, and we're not competing with each other." And I was like, and I was like, "Thanks, man," because he was like, "I know people are gonna say you're not us, and that's fine, but like, you you could be the moon, we could be the sun." And I'm like, all right, Chuck, that's a good one, man. And that that opened my brain too, you know? Well, I, you probably know this and you've listened to the pod. He's my all-time favorite athlete. No one will ever oh. replace him. He's he's my favorite. And, you know, the fact that uh, years back something had happened and he, I get a text from Charles Barkley checking on me. It was, you know, like all-timer. Because he thought I was like kidding around a little bit. He reached out to Van Pelt when I would first said it. And he listens and he watches all the, you know. Everything. And everything. And. Van Pelt's like, Charles just texted me and asked if you were bullshitting about you being a, I was like, he just heard me say that five minutes ago. He's like, yeah, he was listening to the car. He heard it and he didn't know. He's like, he's listened to you long enough. He couldn't tell if you were kidding or not. And I was like, no, I would never joke about that ever. And, um, anyway, so he, he like texted him back and anyway, like that's still one of those little moments for me as numb as we can come to all this stuff. So I want to go back to your thing. Cause as I had said earlier, when you Google Adam Lefko, it's who is he and why is he on TNT? I think is like the, the biggest hit that comes up. This wasn't an impossible spot for you. Like nobody mm. was really going to like you in the beginning because you're not Ernie. And then it's the Tuesday edition and all of this stuff. How did it happen? What was it like? Take me through the whole thing. Um, so I got to Bleach Report. I've been there for about a decade and they've been like kind of using me like occasionally on different events over the years. I think the first time where they kind of felt comfortable, like maybe Adam could be on TV was the first match, which was Tiger versus Phil. And they put, they had me host the pregame show with Barkley, Samuel L. Jackson and Pat Perez. And that was like, what the hell? 
uh, we ended up having to be on set all day. And it was me, Chuck and Samuel L. Jackson and Pat just like kicking it. And that was the first time where they like pulled me aside. and They're like, that went really well. And I was like, thanks. Like I, I was just trying not to get embarrassed by Samuel L. Jackson, who's like the arbiter of cool. And if he left and was like, this guy sucks, I knew I was done. Then they kept he's using still me on knowing him. He, he may have actually said that still. Who knows? I had I had a strategy for Samuel L. Jackson. I watched like 15 interviews and I realized that he was obsessed with gift bags. Uh, he kept bringing it like up the Oscar gift bags and like five of them. And so when I went into the uh, the locker room, uh, he was like, hey, nice pants. And I was like, thanks. I go, I'm the host. And he goes, oh, cool. And I go, you think we're going to get a gift bag? And his eyes like lit up and he was like, come with me. And he put his arm around my shoulder. He's like, me and this guy want to know if we're getting gift bags. And like after that, we were a team. And so like that was a good strategy by me. Well um, done. That was great. But uh, but I remember um, I've been doing a podcast with Chris Sims for a while. And uh, the head of talent, Tara August, who has now moved on, uh, took me out to lunch. And she's like, hey, listen, so, you know, Players Only is over. We're going to be launching a Tuesday show. We kind of have some pieces together. And in my head, I'm going, oh, they're going to have me be the social media reporter. Like, I'm going to come on and be like, all right, Twitter's a buzz right now. Jimmy Butler, playoff Jimmy, Himmy, Himothy, you know, like all that stuff. And she goes, and we're kind of thinking about you as the host. And it's one of those moments where like, everything you've done in your career is like flying by your head and it was an empty restaurant and when i tell you Rosello, like i stood up and i walked around the entire restaurant and then i sat back down i was like you fucking with me and she was like no and i was like yes and like my brain like i i'm the kind of dude that'll like go to a coffee shop for like four hours and just fill a notebook with ideas and i was like i'm not going to pitch you ideas right now but i got ideas and she was like we know and i was like okay cool but I told her like that lunch, I was like, you know, everyone's going to hate me. I said, the one thing I'm going to ask you is do not care about the opinions for like, just give me like a year to like, cause I was like, I'm replacing everybody's sports TV dad. And by replacing, I mean like I'm sitting on the desk that he normally sits in. You know what I mean? And I said, I just want you to know that like, I'm so honored to be like Ernie's teammate. Like, I don't like, I feel like I'm a stepdad. It's like, oh, we got stepdad, like substitute teacher guy. Um, But yeah, I I had to tell my friends and family too. I was like, don't tell me what people are saying. Like, and at the same point, don't take it to heart because it's going to be like this. Um, And the only thing that I can do is work and be prepared. The first thing I did was I was like, can I just come in and watch Ernie for a day? And I love Ernie, like me and him have an amazing relationship. And we had met when I first got there and I, just the kind of person he is. We we gave out an Emmy award together and he he gave the Emmy to like Stuart Scott's kids right after he passed. Um, but I just studied it, man. I was like, okay, if he comes in at 2.30, I'm coming in at two. If, if he fills out a daily notebook every day with notes, I'm going to keep one as well. And it was just like, he's the GOAT. And but uh no, I definitely went in with what you were saying, that mindset of I am screwed. Uh, and just put your head down and battle. And hopefully after a few years, people will be like, he's not bad. It's weird. And I don't know if I'm reading this wrong, but when I asked you the question that way in the beginning about like the Google response, you had a look on your face, like, oh, this again, or like, oh, because I didn't mean to do it as like a negative. It was just the reality. No, it's the, of- it's the uh the Seinfeld cast and the rap cast was like Cause that's usually the one that pops up first. Um, and so then I tell that story in Louisville, Kentucky. 
but no, I wasn't expecting it to go that way. Also on Google, it says I'm 5'10", uh, which like really like, and I don't know how you are, so I don't mean to, how tall you are, I don't mean to offend you, but like my wife got really upset at that because I'm 6'2", and I sit next to Shaq, and the number one thing I hear right now is, oh, you're taller than I thought, but uh, yeah, I don't know why I went down that road right there. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's... You know, the podcast has got a decent, decent number behind it. So we're just setting the record straight here on top of everything yeah, else. I appreciate we're going to hear that, backstory. Bro. Who knows? That could be updated by the time this comes out. So that would be, I don't have a wick. I'm like the only one on TNT that doesn't have a Wikipedia page too. And I don't want to like do that process. But. I just, I don't know how many other people would have gotten this opportunity. You know, like the, the host share has evolved and it's evolved mm. very rapidly of like, all the different things that television and radio has tried to do where I kind of looked at you as like, Oh, this guy actually has some of the traditional hosting stuff, but then to go into this world where it's not really much of a warm up, and it sucks. It sucks for you. Cause it's like immediately because I'm different immediately because I'm not Ernie. And it's like, who's this guy? I think you'd be like, I hope they're not going to replace Ernie with this. Cause they're already pre mad about something that might not even happen. Yeah. Uh, it, you were smart to ignore as much of it as you possibly could, but we both know that it's, it's really hard yeah, to do that. Yeah, it sleeps in. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so how do you feel I now think, then? Well, well if you were going to answer it, if you if you want to answer something, however you're going to answer it, go ahead. And then, you know, we follow up anyway. Well, I was going to say the first show, the way that our, our show started, like Kobe passed, first show canceled. They do that incredible show in Staples with uh, Shaq and them on the court and they're crying. So that was like the Sunday before our first Tuesday show. And then, do you know the amount of time that we were all, so me, Wade, Candace, and Shaq were all in the same room before the first show for, I want to say, 17 seconds. So like, we've never, we've never had pre-show like conversations or like all that. Like I had gone out to dinner with Wade and all that, but um, literally they're like 30 seconds. And then like Shaq walks on set and he's like, Hey, I'm Shaq. I'm like, Hey man, I'm Lefko. And he goes, are those bullet holes on your shirt? And I go, no, they're flowers. And he goes, oh, cool. And then it's like five, four. So that's it. You know what I mean? Like, and I do not, I don't use teleprompter um, because I don't like the look of people reading on television. And I also don't like the fact that like the other talent reads while you're reading. And so, um, it's all kind of improv. Like I know what, what I'm going to say. And I, it's, I treat it like curb where like, I know where I have to get to and I know the topics that I have to hit, but we're just going to find a way to get there. Um, but that, that was what you were saying about like the adjustment period in terms of like, uh, hate and all that stuff. Um, I think the, it was tough in the beginning just because as somebody that was working at Bleacher Report and somebody that was doing a podcast, you use the internet as like an, an idea farm and you really listen to your audience and kind of sit, like you guys do have like people writing in and so you're really paying attention to that. Um, but for me afterwards, Shaq actually changed my brain completely. There was one day where we're doing a Mavericks game. Um, I think it was bubble. And I said, Dorian Finney Smith, but it was Tim Hardaway Jr. Just one of those things where like, I got the, the sheet late. I looked up, I didn't see who it was. And I go, oh, my bad, uh, t uh, Dorian or Tim Hardaway Jr. And Wade goes, oh, left go. Yeah, we all look alike. And then we're all laughing. And then in commercial break, I look on Twitter and it's like, 
Adam Lefko says this and Wade corrects him. We all look alike. And I was like, man, Wade, you're already getting me in trouble. And Shaq looks at me and he goes, put that shit away. Don't look at that. And I was like, oh, no. He goes, no. It's the same thing with my kids. Don't look at that. That's, that's, you don't want that, man. Don't look at that. And he was yelling at me for like five minutes, right? And then we do a segment. And then afterwards, he goes, I know you look at that stuff. Don't look at social media. And I was like, okay. I was like, dude, it's not, I was just making a joke. It's not a big deal. He, we, like, I stayed around because we had like 15 minutes. He went to the bathroom, came back, and he was getting the jacket on. And he goes, Lefko, you're good. You're like really good. And you don't need to look at that shit. He goes, you are an alien. I am an alien. We do not concern, concern ourselves with the opinions of earthlings. And I was like, damn. And he was like, yeah. And anytime I'm looking at social media, Shaq will be like, put that shit away. And so that really changed my brain. And then like the next day I woke up, Rosello, and it was a text from Shaq that said, I love you. And I was like, I was sitting in bed and I was like, damn, am I an alien? Like, this is cool. But it that from then on, I really don't care anymore because I understand why people are saying those things. And I know how my coworkers feel about me. And to me, it's like, I care, I care about the people that I work with. And I, I know, like I, I watch um, like Wednesdays after a show, I rewatch the show and I know if I did good or bad, like I treat it like game film. Um, but if people feel that way, the only, the only comments that I really care about are ones that are, uh, breaking it down. So if they say he interrupts too much, that's a note like that. I take that as a note. If I don't know why I like, I don't like this guy or he's annoying to me. I do like, I can't control that. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, you're on TNT. All right. You know, this isn't, yeah. this is the big leagues, like, in a in you just double and single A and, you know, everything else it feels like. And yet just spending some time with you, like it gets, it's very clear to me. Like, I'm like, okay, like I'm getting to know you in a way, obviously I'd never really met before. And I'm like, all right, there's a lot of this is kind of making sense. Um, you know, what's funny about Shaq is I think in the beginning when he got onto the show, I was like protective of the Barkley thing. Me too. Like, I'll, I'll admit at home. Sometimes I'm like so mad at Kenny. Cause I'll just be like, leave Chuck alone, dude. <laughs> taking it personally <laughs> which is stupid all right but then Shaq I was like oh man like I don't know I don't know I've grown to kind of like like that guy so much as a dude like mm. it doesn't mean I agree with everything he says that's such an absurd standard that we have for people that we don't know because we don't have that with people that we do know but every time I hear like how genuine Shaq is and how good he is with other people and you sharing a story, like I loved it. You know, you know, what's funny is like you want to talk about being defensive when he said to Christian Wood, I wasn't familiar with your game, hmm. which is really funny. I was pissed that people thought it was awesome that Christian Wood called Shaq a casual. Again, Christian mm. Wood falls into that bucket of me of like, oh, you think he's good? Oh, so you don't know anything about basketball. That's cool. Right, right, so right. So that's right. kind of how I am about like certain players where I'm like, I don't care how many numbers. I was mad about the reaction where people thought that was a win for Christian Wood by calling Shaq a casual when I was like, that's how much I've turned. I was, I wouldn't say like, look, he was a Laker. It wasn't like anything I was going to be rooting for Shaq, mm. but getting to know him the person more over these years through that show and through stories like yours and others that I know that know him really well. Like he's something else, man. And it sounds like he's an awesome teammate too. 
Yeah, like there were times, man, where I thought those like Shaq videos were like he buys like a couple an engagement ring. I was like, oh, this is just good marketing. And then I saw him with like people at work, like Candace uh, had a baby recently and he was like, hey, I'm taking care of it. I'm going to make sure you're going. Like, it's just natural. Like he is, I'm t- it's because of his, it's because of the guy that raised him and the fact that he was moving all over the world as a child and everywhere he went, he didn't feel at home. And so I think the the comedy thing is a is a defense mechanism, but he really is a good guy. I will say that I felt that way about Kenny, and then I hosted the Thursday show a few times, like filled in, and I realized the role that he plays there. Oh yeah, and I get that. Oh right, but the no rings thing th- just is always going to piss me off as a Barkley guy. So that's all. It's so interesting. Like that was uh, like the main topic for like a decade. And I don't think it really comes up as much anymore. Um, but to have a dude that's as self-deprecating as, as Chuck that can take it, every commercial is about not having rings, but he does not care. Uh, I told, I, I had him one time we were hanging out and, uh, he had a, a new Emmy that he won for like best sportscaster of the year. And when I hang out with Chuck, we, we drink and we tell stories and, uh, I go, how many is that for you? He goes, I think that, I think that's my fourth. And I go, I go, man, I go, how many times has the, the show won Emmys? And he's like, man, I don't know, like 15. And I was like, well, where are those? He goes, we don't get them. And I was like, wait a second. So like when NBA on TNT wins an Emmy, you don't get one, but like all the producers do and all that stuff. And he looks at me and he goes, man, my life is amazing. Let everybody else have them. Cause man, life is great. And I was like, wow. Cause you know, like coming up, like you're like, I want to be an Emmy award winner. And then you're like, we, I'm on TV talking about basketball. Like my job is to like watch and then go, Hey Shaq, what did you think? Like who cares? And, and dude, the reason TNT is different. Ernie and Chuck set the tone. They know the janitor's name and they will treat the janitor with more respect than they will treat the, the other hosts on the show. And then you go into the makeup room and the music is playing. And it's like Frankie Beverly and Mays. And Isaiah Thomas comes in because he's on NBA TV that night and he's like dancing, right? And then like the vibes are always great because everybody treats each other with respect and everybody loves each other like that. And it, it starts with Chuck and Ernie, man. Like they, they set the tone. You're a Philly guy. How do you feel about Philadelphia against Boston? If it is Boston, Boston's going to the finals. Like it's, I, I've been saying this since the beginning. Like I heard you and Bill on on Sunday, and like I felt like you I, you were like winking at each other. Like let's talk about the East as though we don't think that Boston's definitely going to the finals. But like one of our last nights, I think it was a Thursday night that I hosted, was the Boston forty one point win over the Bucks, and I remember leaving leaving set. And going, Brogdon took everybody off the dribble. Tatum, Brown, Smart. I was like, Milwaukee's a lot slower than I remember them being last year. I have no confidence in the Sixers team at all. I had no confidence before Embiid is going to be wearing a leg brace and doing pain management. Because I watched James Harden shoot seven three, hit seven threes in game one, but the entire series be completely ineffective around the basket. And I do not have confidence in Tobias Harris. And I do not think Tyrese Maxey is at that level yet to be that guy against Boston. I just, I I, I don't see it. 
Um, I've never seen it. I don't trust Doc. This is just Philly fans are harder on their team than any, but but no, Boston no, no. is going here's, to the finals. Here's what Philly fans are. And, and Bucks fans can do this a little bit too. It's like all the stuff that you're saying that's critical of us, we say, but we don't like that you said it. <laughs> and so I'm okay with it. I'm no, okay you're it. you're fine. You're certified because yeah. it's it's your it's your hometown. But when I think about like Philly and Brooklyn, and I felt like on Sunday I had to keep reminding myself in the audience. Like, be fair about this. Brooklyn isn't good. They swept mm-hmm. them. They did everything you would want. But just watching that Philly team through the idea of, like, can they get out of the East? Can they beat no. a team? Can this team win a championship? Because that's the standard that they've set for themselves. That's the standard of, like, you know, I, I feel like Embiid, because I do think people really like him, despite I feel like the people close to him trying to convince him that everybody hates him, which I think is a fucking really stupid, stupid approach to this guy's mental mm. awareness of like where he's at in the game. But if they get bounced and he's he's not healthy again, like I think he'll finally kind of fall into that group of like, oh, wait, maybe you can't win with this guy. Where I feel like mm. whenever you say can or can't, it's the easiest thing in the world to say about a player, but like you can't win with him. And it's like, well, the odds are in your favor because it's really, Always. really hard. It's a really easy argument to probably win, but I'd rather it be, do you think he can't win or do you think this person is incapable of winning? Because that's a much more damning thing. It's a much shorter list of players. And there's definitely a couple of players that I feel like fall into that category. And Embiid is not one of those players, but that's what's going to happen if they were to get bounced out. Because even with the Brooklyn sweep, the point I was originally trying to make, Lefko, when I watched Golden State Sacramento run up and down for four games, and I would think of like, what would Philadelphia... I realize they're not in the West, but I go, what would the Sixers team look like in a game where a team like that decided that they were like, no, 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 we want it. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to we're going to run with you. Not that Boston is necessarily either of those. Look what they're doing to Sabonis right now. Look what they're doing to Sabonis, the Warriors. Westbrooking him. Yeah. I had had Sabonis at five in the MVP. Like and and he looks like a, a jabroni. Like it's crazy. But um. I, I think the big thing is, is, um, and I, and this is a big podcast, so I'm like nervous about saying it, but like, I, Doc Rivers just does not put Embiid in big situations, in positions to like be successful. I think sometimes, you know, like even the way that like they attacked Brooklyn, where like every first half it was Embiid catching the ball at the top of the uh, of the arc and like getting double teamed and and kind of being frantic. How are how are there not plays that are getting him in a better position to catch the ball to run it? You know, and and I think Embiid himself did a much better job this year than years past of not settling for threes and not trying to prove to people that he can shoot threes, but instead like perfecting that fifteen foot jumper, which is pretty much unguardable if he can get a jab step in. Um, but no, I, I I don't know any Sixers fans that really thought this team was going to make a run. Like I I don't know any. Um, that that really were like this could be the year. The, I have always thought that as a Sixers fan, all I really cared about was Embiid being an MVP this year. And I think that to the Boston discussion, they went one and three against Boston this year, and the one game they won was Embiid in the in the throes of the MVP argument, going for fifty. He went for fifty, and they're up like seven or eight with forty seconds left. 
I had two dudes on my floor. One is a Sixers fan. One is a uh, Celtics fan. And, and they're both in like VC and like business and stuff. And so one of them treated the other one to courtside seats for that game. Okay. Like bromance at, at its core. And they were sitting right there and they said, dude, the Sixers are up seven or eight. And Doc Rivers is looking at the crowd and he's talking, hey, how great is this? And the assistant coaches are like laughing. Remember how that game ended? Marcus Smart drawing the foul on Embiid, Tatum hitting a three. Like the Celtics almost came back and won that game. And my friend Yaniv, that is a Sixers fan, was like, it was torture to watch this team almost throw it away. And Doc Rivers is like laughing with the audience, like the crowd and all that. And, And even that win, the one game they won, doesn't even feel good. Like, if you really watch that game, it's like they tried to blow this game. And Embiid had 50-something. But that's interesting to hear you say you don't have any Sixers fans that think they're going to win. Do you know any? I don't know as many Sixers fans as you do. (laughs) I don't know, man. The Ringer got like 85 Sixers fans, I feel like, on there. But Yeah, we get accused by the GM of all being Boston homers, despite the fact I think all of us voted Embiid All-Star starters and for MVP. Because I had a really hard time with my vote. I had a really hard time. I was like, you know he's not better than Giannis. But that's I kept reminding myself at the end. I go, that's not the award. That's not what the award is. And I think they've done a good job with Embiid. Because it's kind of funny. Like, you talk about wanting to move him around. I would agree with half of that. Okay. You know, we can't give him credit for having him catch a top, face everything and not get caught in a very short amount of space. But I would agree, like, okay, maybe you you get him on some kind of role. Maybe you get him on something where it's not always ending up with the same look. I'm really surprised that Embiid struggles with some of the turnover stuff as late as he does, where he feels like he's unaware of the idea, like, hey, they're going to send a second guy in the backside of you here. Like, how have you not figured this shit out yet? And he mm. and Harden, the turnover numbers in clutch time, it hasn't burned him enough because if you're not a Sixers fan, you're not looking at that stuff. You're not as locked into it. When Embiid always, puts the ball on the ground and tries to drive, it's like it goes to like two people. It's a turnover every time. It's bad. It's 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 a lot. But uh, I was I was surprised not so much of like the positional stuff that we we're talking about here, where right from the jump, you knew what Brooklyn was going to do. You can say they changed it up a little bit. I think they actually got caught a couple times triple teaming because the other guy didn't know who was going. Mm-hmm. And you're you're watching it and you're going, how can none of you guys off the ball fucking cut? Like how can, and Maxi would catch and cut. I'm not worried about Maxi at all. Now there might be too much size wow. in a matchup where, Love but him. I think his mentality wise, not worried about Maxi at all. Good for Tobias Harris, but they're up 3-0. I can't help but you know, think that. Like, oh, they're up 3-0 and he's going off here. But I wanted to see, and Boston's defense is going to be different anyway, but against Brooklyn, like it was pretty clear what was happening most every position that Embiid was in the game. Why are the other guys not moving? Why, like basketball is really simple. If you keep moving, it's a pain in the ass. Hmm. It's a pain in the ass for me to keep up with you the whole time. If you're going to stand there and we wait for the main action to happen and nobody else wants to do anything else, for too many of the possessions, you're like, this is awesome. It's just that Brooklyn isn't good enough. Okay, before we let you go, uh, we know you're doing a bunch of draft stuff, so give us the full scope of everything that's happening with the draft coming up this week. All right, so what's crazy, because I was like, every every step of my career in Nebraska, I was focused on college football. I was covering Indomitian Sioux when I was in Louisville. I covered Kentucky and Louisville basketball, Rick Pitino, Calipari, Anthony Davis, the, the the Louisville championship that they say didn't happen, but I saw it with my own two eyes. 
When I got to Bleacher Report, I was like strictly NFL for like five, six years. This is my 10th NFL draft, which is nuts. Chris Sims is now like Sunday night football. Connor, Matt Miller is going to be on the desk with uh, like Mel Kuyper. Connor Rogers is like NBC. So it's been cool to like watch everybody go. But this year it is uh, BR at BR YouTube. Mike Renner, formerly of PFF, is going to join me. Mike Felder. Uh, The last few years, we've had a a number of of moments really go viral. Uh, Jason Kelsey and myself reacting to the A.J. Brown trade. Uh, I think that we kind of helped RG3 get a job at ESPN because that's when he said that Kellen Mond will replace Kirk Cousins. Bad take. But on the draft, nobody cares about bad takes. They just want takes. Uh, Cam Jordan uh, came on, and when Kyle Pitts got drafted by the Falcons, he said he separated his head from his body. Uh, so we're like the only Real draft quick, show though, that like— on the on the RG3 yeah. thing, I think Zimmer was so over Cousins at one point he wanted that to actually happen, which blew <laughs> totally. my mind as somebody that watched Mond. And I was like, oh. what? It's so funny as a college football dude where I'll go, Wait. This, I'm, I wanted to ask you about this, man, because I listened to you about Anthony Richardson the first two games. And now, like, you predicted this. You were like, I know he's going to have a few plays and NFL draft season is going to come around, but I watched him and I watched him. Oh, so Anthony Richardson, he his whole preseason draft positioning on the mock spawned an idea for a segment that I'm going to do with Van Lathan next year is before the college football season starts, because we love Saturdays so much, we're going to look at the first Mel Kuyper mock, and we're going to go through the first rounders. Of, you know, majority of you guys we've already seen, and we're going to go, that's stupid, or over-under on some of those, right? Because Richardson being at 15, I think, I'm like, what are you guys smoking? This is nuts. Mm. Then he has the Utah game. I think I... Yep. I there might have been a restraining order on me after that game, because I couldn't believe how good he was. And then it fell apart. And then I got super annoyed, too, with like one of the broadcasts where they were like, Billy Napier has an approach where there's a real buy-in. There's a re- I'm doing a little test right now. I'm sorry, Tess. There's a real buy-in down here in Gainesville where you know they've changed the culture. And then it's like, okay, now they That's can't good, convert. Tess. They can't convert third and five. Like, fucking cool t-shirts. But what the fuck? So I was totally off them again. And it's funny because the NFL dudes are overly protective of the college to NFL thing to the point where I would submit assholeish about it, where Ooh. every coach that comes in, if he's a college guy, he's a fucking idiot. Um, and look, the draft is what it is. I mean, I spend time on talking about NBA players that I haven't watched until I've caught up because I can't do both during the regular season with the NBA and college, but there'll be certain NFL dudes where I'm like you if this was reversed if I didn't watch any Sunday games and then just went and got caught up and was like you know who's nasty is is uh you know I'm just trying to think of like a good example here um Nick Mullins man that guy makes he can spin it that guy can make some throws so when I see (laughs) the Anthony Richardson stuff happening I'm going man you're seeing something different on tape than I watched throughout the majority of his career so, yeah, uh, I don't know. That stuff always happens. I, I'm not sure who's right because we're all wrong collectively about the position in an epic way. and We can't ever figure it out. 
I just want everyone to realize to look back at the 2018 draft where we had five quarterbacks much more heralded, heralded than this that were all supposed to be good. And you looked at Baker and Darnold and Rosen and Josh Allen and Lamar. And I think there are a lot of comparisons to this. You know, Baker was like the undersized guy that went number one. I think that's going to be Bryce Young. Uh, Richardson will play the Lamar Jackson role. They're trying to put Will, Will this Josh Allen role. Um, but I don't think that this is a great draft overall. I, I talk to a lot of draft analysts and a lot of players and stuff. They think it's kind of a weak draft. My big opinions of what I think is going to happen, I think B. John Robinson goes a lot earlier than people think because I don't think the top end is that high and he's one of the few top end guys. Um, I also think that... Um, I, I don't see it with like any of these quarterbacks, really. Like... Uh, there's just there's a big hole in all of them. I don't know where you are on Bryce. I mean, but like this Will Levis, what's happening right now on Reddit, where like his odds have gone from like plus four thousand to like plus four hundred because a friend of a friend is saying that he's telling people he's going number one. Like the week of the draft is always the most nonsense, and people throw everything to the wind when like we know these teams are trying to mess with media reports. Like we know this, but. Will Levis has eaten bananas with the skin on and put mayonnaise in his coffee, but he did well on like an S2 test that came out like last year. And suddenly one data point replaces like all of the games that we watched and that he can't throw passes five yards in. But I'm a host. I'm not an opinion haver. So I'll ask questions. I won't give takes. It feels like a QB class. We're going to look back in a couple of years ago. And why did everybody talk themselves into these guys? I mean, that's the way it feels right now. I would take Bryce one because he's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen in college. I think he's that good. Yeah, uh, I understand the size thing like everybody else. But if I had the number one pick and I needed a quarterback, I would go, look, I don't love this. I almost would have a do not draft rule on him because of his size. But you know what? We screwed up with the six, five guys all the time, too. We screwed up all mm -hmm. the time with those dudes. So, you know what? I'll probably just take them. I mean, I'm serious. Like if that's what I was saying to my owner, he'd probably fire me on the spot being like, I'd like you mm -hmm. to have a little more passion about this. I'd like you to have a little more certainty. But considering how bad the track record is with that position with even the first rounders be like, well, I'll screw it up with the small guy. Cause we screwed up with all the, the magazine cover guys all the time. Anyway, uh, mm. I can't wait. I love the draft. Like anything. It's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, it, we'll just, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. So that'll uh, be coming up on Thursday. Hey, this was a lot of fun, dude. Thanks for doing this. And, um, I'm happy for you getting to know your story here a little bit more too. Uh, I appreciate you. Uh, you guys have helped me through steam room etiquette, uh, people playing uh, podcasts in there. Uh, and it just made me feel not alone in my craziness. Um, I keep killing it. Uh, I'm proud of your journey, man. Like, I just want you to know that in media, there's always this weird thing where you feel like you have to keep going up. And you, uh, I feel like, are the next generation of like the Dan Patrick, of like somebody that left a traditional place and went and said, I'm going to do this myself. Uh, and so I appreciate you and, and thank you for showing interest and shout out to Kyle and, and Saruti uh, for, for always killing it, man. Well, that was nice of you to say, man. Uh, they can hear you, so I'm sure they appreciate it as well. It's Adam Lefko, TNT, Bleacher Report Draft this week. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. 
throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Succession recap, because we've got the NFL draft, which means our next episode will be Friday, just what we wanted to do. Uh, I loved, I loved uh, this episode. I, I just think that the way they've, they've mapped out the Madsen character to be like, okay, we're going to have another tech guy. How do we want to do it? They could have gone right out of central casting vest, Silicon Valley bullshit. Let's go. And it was like, nope, let's have him be Swedish. And, uh, the character is terrific because you're always kind of like unsettled around him, which is exactly what it's like in all of the scenes. So they go out to this place that looks like it's make-believe Norway. I don't know where that place is, but it looks awesome. It looks incredible. And to have this all play out, and then the Roman scene where Madsen's pissing, that was that was big-time stuff. Like People were joking about it being like Emmy-nominated stuff while the other character is pissing. I thought Roman's whole dialogue in that and how well he played being that upset where he just fucking had it with him was was terrific. I, I, I really... I love that episode. I liked it. Um, I also felt a little bit strange because I think Sarudi and I are going to meet a bunch of Swedes this summer for intro days. <laughs> and I just, I, they seemed a little standoffish and I wonder how they're going to look at us boatload of Americans coming in. If they look at us the same way, I kind of felt, uh, I felt a little nervous for what we got to go through this summer, but it was definitely uh, I loved like from the like how everybody straight up just sized each other up and like Hugo, who was like probably the most self-conscious dude like on, in the in the nation at that point, <laughs> just was like his uh, his his almost bronze medal stuff. Like it's just uh, it was funny to see how everyone was like circling each other. It's like wow, that was almost awesome, huh? Those damn tenths <laughs> yeah. of a second. <laughs> it's like yeah, I thought Hugo had a great performance. He also has a full plate of croissants. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, oh, yeah. It's just because I metabolize so fast. So I'm really dynamic. <laughs> oh, it's so good. This was uh, this was the first episode that I think I didn't like Greg. I really just like was annoyed by Greg this entire episode. I thought the quad squad thing was really just uncomfortable. And I know that's what the point of it was. But I was like, dude, really? And then when he and then we starts talking about what was it, the Economist in front of Madsen and <laughs> Tom's making fun of him. I'm like, Greg, I just I kind of I mean, again, it's not like I don't like Greg the character, but I almost felt like that was too far. And it was the first time I really was like, fuck you, Greg, like just stay out of this. Like I don't need any more Greg right now. Um, but obviously, it worked in the in the grand scheme of things of, the, of telling the story of whatnot. But uh, I don't know, man. I thought it was a really good episode. I think your your point, Ryan Roman, that like. Obviously, he's funny and everybody likes him because they think he's like not a serious character, but he's been really serious the last couple episodes. And like, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not like you know, a, a true like TV and film critic, but like it, it really is kind of impressive to see a guy who like you kind of think of as a joke for most of the series now, like really being emotional. It's kind of weird to see, but it's actually also awesome, too. Yeah, because I don't think I always loved all the Roman stuff, you know, where if you read about it, like they encouraged him to you know, hammer the improvisational stuff with the insults, right? And 
I'll admit, like, sometimes I'd be like, okay, you know, like, I got it. You know, like, you're just being vulgar or whatever. But then if you think of him always feeling like he had his dad's back more than any of them, and obviously having that relationship be really close at the end, and then them kind of struggling with the idea of, like, they they actually seem more pro-Logan in these moments after his death which I think is a very real thing, despite how complicated the relationship was all the time. And then for Roman to deliver this, this thing where he, it just feels so honest and it, it felt like it, it fit it perfect, despite the fact that they're up in the mountains. I don't know if these are technically fjords. I like saying it that way uh, because I've been to, you know, the, the Western Icelandic fjords. So, no, I'm look, I'm just saying it over and over again, how much I like the show, but then, the Madsen part. Do they give him cap teeth on this? Is he going buck teeth? Is that his scars guard wouldn't rock those choppers, would he? In real life? Oh, I didn't notice that. I didn't notice at all. I didn't notice anything different. I mean, I I've seen a bunch of him, and I didn't, I didn't I wasn't thrown off by his teeth, but uh, I thought they I were a little they were a little extra, and I don't remember that in other stuff that I've seen him in. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Anything else? Yeah. Wait a minute. Greg neutered. Greg is bumming me out. Saruti. So I completely agree. Like his whole character right now is trying to find his way back in. And I haven't always loved it. Cause I just feel like all of his powers are gone and it kind of sucks watching it, even though it makes a lot of sense from the story. Yeah. And you know, like Tom's kind of doing a similar thing too. And I'm not as annoyed by Tom. Like Tom is basically letting everyone who, who he, who he inter, uh, interacts with know that he's like available and open for business and is, is there if necessary, <laughs> including the guys in the suite, including the Swedes. Um, but I'm not annoyed by that. Like I get why that's a good move for Tom and Tom's whole thing is fucked up now too. Cause Shiv asked him out to dinner, I guess at the end of the episode too. Right. So, uh, but I don't know. I've never been annoyed with Greg, and it was just kind of weird. Be like, all right, I actually don't want more like awkward Greg right now. Like, I kind of want more of like whatever the hell's going on with this deal. But it was short enough for I mean, it doesn't really matter. But uh, I'm I'm also glad that they did because like I, I think it's easy to forget how little time there was between Logan's death and like obviously you're watching this week to week, and you know you could assume that it's maybe a week or something after his death. But I like that he pointed out like, hey, our dad died like couple days ago you couldn't have just waited a week like i like that they just reiterated that because i think it's easy to forget how soon after they had to fly across the fucking atlantic to do this deal after their dad died like it's just an easy thing to forget so i'm glad they brought it up and i mean we haven't even had we haven't even had the funeral yet which i mean you see that call from from connor connor like, yeah like you know out there they're so busy they can't even you know really properly fight all the bullshit they think marsha has been doing we haven't seen her enough to like really whatever her plan is like has been has not gonna has not been able to unfold yet, and I imagine there's going to be some pretty uncomfortable conversations at this funeral, which hasn't even happened yet. And it's been really two weeks since we found out he's been dead. So you're right that it's like usually the funerals like pretty soon after get everything, but they you know we just had this whole um, the Sweden episode too. So you're you're right. I mean it's been what now three days since he's actually died, and and you know day four will be like you know they'll be flying back and getting ready for this funeral so um it's been a it's going to be a jam-packed couple of episodes like timeline wise too mm-hmm. uh a couple other things the shiv is she pregnant thing and then she was drinking was and then coke well whatever. did she actually she, she actually never did it though right wasn't she just rolling yeah the vial in her fingers because i don't know when that's safe. like how late can you drink and do coke till 
and then uh, which trimester <laughs> so i think it's the were, first one <laughs> yeah yeah so i uh there's that part of it the did you guys think, i thought right did you guys think they were gonna hook up i kind of was like wait is this on right now yeah yeah well, I, totally when he did the hug thing earlier there was a couple like hints that maybe something would be weird and then of course they just make it even better by going like so you're sending your blood to your Tom's director. (laughs) Like, okay. And I was like, will that be, is that actually something or just expanding the depth of Madsen's weirdness? And then, uh, I I think one of my favorite parts of the entire season so far is the writer's room and, and whoever, whether it was Jesse Armstrong, the creator or whatever, but the piece of paper, right? Like Logan still had to have some kind of power over all of these people, even in his death. And this piece of paper was was perfect. It can seem a little cliche to be like, oh, there's a mysterious piece of paper. And then they also tease you the idea that Carl and Frank are going to tear it up. Yeah. Right. And then Jerry <laughs> like a comes humor, in. A humorous vein. Right. right, I, right that, whole, that whole scene was incredible. <laughs> Carl. Carl Carl's, is, Carl's the best. He's honestly my favorite character. <laughs> he's so good. He's so <laughs> fucking good. All the Carl stuff. So there's this piece of paper and. You know, a lesser show with lesser writers, honestly, would probably have fucked that up. It would have been lame, right? It just it just wouldn't have worked as well. And for the line to be under Kendall, but sort of through it, and Kendall looks at it again at the end of, what was it, episode four, where he's looking at it, he's, he's just, he's looking at it the way we're looking at it, going, is this me underlined to emphasize, <laughs> or is this me crossed off? to emphasize that it's definitely not me. And when Shiv challenges him on it and he's like, it sure as shit doesn't yeah. say Shiv. Incredible line. Which yeah. is the this, this minor, minor detail, just a line that is slightly arching up that is both underlining something and looking like it's crossing it out to just hammer home the self-doubt that Kendall has had from the first scene we ever saw him in this show. Uh... I love it, but I've liked how Kendall has looked. I love Roman stuff in the last one. Shiv's always great, Tom, the whole deal, but you're right. Like, if if Greg were power rankings, the Kia power rankings right now, you know, it'd be like jaw with an arrow down. Yeah, it's like one of those, like at some point, like you're you you exist long enough for us to turn on you and you become the enemy. Like, I, I don't want Greg to become the enemy here. Like, I don't want Greg to become our Memphis Grizzlies. Well, once Greg stopped being poor, really, it's it, he became less endearing immediately. I mean, poor Greg was the best, but uh, yeah, I think true. he could never top poor Greg. So, poor Greg was the best, especially when he passes on the two hundred fifty million, which I think will be a mistake right. uh, yeah. from his grandfather. Run. But when those guys start talking about how like five million is the worst, that's that's worse than nothing. <laughs> yeah, you're basically poor to rich people. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're through like they're so convincing. Right. There's so they're so convincing of it. And there's just these little seeds of like five million. You you like think you're a guy with five million? Like that's worse than zero, actually. <laughs> uh okay. There you go. There's a little recap. I posted that's two concerts in six days for your boy. That is that is a new record. That's Jimmy Butler type shit over here for me to leave the house twice during the NBA playoffs. I'm happy for you, dude. I really am. 
get out of the house. I know this is like not like it's a, it's a fun time because the playoffs, but I know like kind of how, you know, cabin feverish you get. So I'm happy for you, dude. Well, thanks, Saruti. And you were sincere about that because we talked off the air and you were like, I'm really glad you went to that. I was like, all right, so people started to talk about me. Here we are. <laughs> um, it should be totally fair. We got to encourage Rosilla to get out of the house. Yeah, totally fair. It's getting a little weirder. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. So the backstory with me and Fish, some have heard it before. You know, high school, once I heard about it, was obsessed. I was washing dishes in high school. Actually, the Black Dog Restaurant, where you see those T-shirts, there's a restaurant there that opened, I think, the late 70s, maybe mid-70s, 74, I don't know. Um, The Douglas family opened it. Uh, The guys I got to know years later as vineyard guys. Anyway, their whole point of bringing up the restaurant stuff is that when you're 15, 16 years old and you're working on a restaurant, you are... uh, educated in a bunch of different ways uh and the best one the most positive one is music so you'd be back there and all these chefs like they were just super into the music scene right and they were all about it man and they they you know they would put on tapes of everything and you know especially when you're young and if you're into music and you're hearing things you're, you're kind of impressionable you're incredibly impressionable when you're young but in a way that can be like one of the most amazing things because you, you don't have anything else that's in the way and you know i'm hearing all of these bands and that's kind of like when the jam band thing was taken over right like at first at one point we thought the spin doctors were actually like a jam band right and then it was blues traveler um you know i've always mentioned how much i've, I've loved widespread and there's a bunch of other stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm probably not giving enough credit, but fish was the first one for me where I went, holy shit, like, what is this? Uh, cause it was a little weird. It was a little different. And the first three albums, you know, were all out by the time, um, they were already, I think the first two had already been out and then nectar came out like when I was in high school around that time. And so, I end up going to UVM, which is funny because like it's not why I went to UVM, right? My family in Vermont, I wanted to go to St. Mike's because I thought there was like a small, small chance if I filled out, I could play basketball there later on. And then I went to visit St. Mike's again after I had early decision and they fucking waitlisted me, which I couldn't believe. And then I visited UVM on the way there. And my dad and I were like, whoa, dude, this place is sick. And I was like, all right, we'll see. And I got in and I went. And now I'm telling a story that has nothing to do with this, but I guess I'm just giving you the backdrop. <laughs> the whole thing is like when you got when you got to UVM, it was there were some dudes like you thought you liked fish. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, oh my god! Uh, I also took music theory because I like music so much, despite not taking an instrument. F. So the best show, one of the best concerts I've ever been to, uh, was was the April '94 show because it was the best setting. It's out outside. Uh, for us, not the show, it was Flint Theater, which is an amazing theater right there on Main Street in town. But it was this deal where those Vermont springs are almost non-existent. It's it's winter into mud into hot summer. And so if you got a nice spring day on campus and we're hanging around, we're having some beers, we're getting shots up, which is a weird thing to do when you're young, drink and play basketball. But hey, we're young. And then to go, yeah, hey, do you want to walk down to fish? And you're like, yeah, which we'd already had our tickets, everything walk in, walk right up to the front and the guys come out and it just fucking blows you away. But at that point, I'd already loved them now for a couple of years. The funny thing is the first time I saw him, I think it was 91. Um, and then there was another time I saw him when I was in high school. The first time I went to go see him when I was in high school, I didn't even want to have a beer because I didn't want anything to get in the way, which is really funny because <laughs> then I came back and the guys were like, hey, 
you know, hey, man, how how fucked up did you get? And I was like, nothing. I'm like, I I didn't want to do anything. Like, I just wanted to experience the whole thing. They looked at me like I was so weird because the vineyard was a little hippie-ish too. And so uh, then I saw him another time and I borrowed, it was the first time I ever drove a car on the highway. And I was, because I'd only drove on Martha's Vineyard. And I didn't think I had my license for a year. I think it was like a Northampton thing. And a guy from the restaurant let me borrow his Azuzu uh, Trooper. <laughs> I wow. couldn't even pronounce it because I don't think I've said that word in fucking decades. <laughs> I haven't seen it in Azuzu. Yeah, the Azuzu Trooper. So I pulled off the boat and got on the highway and I was like, had massive anxiety about it because I was like, this is fucking crazy. Look at all these cars changing lanes. And then the guy's car who I had, I went to his buddy's apartment in Northampton and they were, they took the car over. They commandeered it immediately because they were like the older dudes and they were like, yeah, you're not driving. So I was like, all right, cool. No problem. So the Flynn show was like it i was like i don't think i can do much better than that and then i saw him one other time so that was it that was pretty much it and as far as the cds and everything you know i like the first three probably the most and then riff i was still amazed i mean i probably like the colorado tape as much as anything because i just like that these guys were so young and doing something so different in the game head story and all these different things which some of you are getting any of these references and that's fine and i'm not super locked into all these stuff if there's some sort of acronym or whatever i'm gonna fail that quiz all right i'm i'm not that guy and i'll i'll never forget waiting in line at pure pop in burlington if, for hoist to be released my freshman year of the cd and I waited and I waited to get it. That's how like I was that into it. And then I remember hoist when I heard Wolfman's brother it was the first time I was like, what the fuck guys? Like, what is, what is this? Cause I really didn't like that song. And it was like the first line. And then you like, feel like a band owes you something. And then I was kind of back in with Billy breeze, which was, I think going into my senior year. And then there was two CDs where I was like, all right, I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. So I, this was a, this was a long stretch of me not, like I liked them. I'd still have stuff. I remember I still had a double cassette deck for a long time in the 2000s because there was this riff version from like UNH that I still loved that much. <laughs> but I wasn't going to when guys were like, hey, we're going to go see him all the late 90s stuff. I didn't care anymore. When they got back together, I was like, whatever. Um, and I met a guy who used to work with him. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say his name or not, so maybe I won't. And then he invited me and was like, you should come out to the Hollywood Bowl shows because it's a Hollywood Bowl one, which is an amazing venue if you've ever seen anything there. Uh, and we, we can go. So roll in on Saturday. And I'll admit, too, with all the basketball that was going on this weekend, I was like, maybe I won't go. I look at the traffic and how far away it is, the Hollywood Bowl from Manhattan Beach. And I'm like, dude, it's an hour and plus. I'm like, this is going to suck. Uh, and then I got a text from the guy being like, are you good? And I was like, all right. He texted me. Now I'm going fuck it, whatever, record Lakers Grizzlies. I'll watch it in the morning, get everything done on Sunday. And the energy around it, I hadn't been around that in a really long time. And you can make whatever jokes you want and they're not necessarily inaccurate, but there was an energy in a buildup because they'd played the night before. And I'm looking at the set list from the night before going like, man, we got a couple strange covers in there. Uh, they come out, Ghost, David Bowie, Esther, Harry Hood, Split Open Melt, Squirming Quad. was like, they did every song. They basically checked like every box for me as a guy that was really obsessed with them early on. The 2001 thing is incredible. They play the 2001 um, theme. And to see that live, I'd obviously never seen that live. Uh, and then the encore, because of LA, me and the guy that I was with were like, hey, look, and he's 
toured with him forever. So he's looking at me going, hey, depending on the encore, do you want to maybe pull the vet move and like duck out? And I was like, yeah, possibly. Yeah, that might be a good idea because I still got to go back and watch this fucking Lakers-Grizzlies game. And the first note that you hear to run like an antelope, you're like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> um, that setting, that scene, the way they played, it re- I hadn't seen them in 20 years. And it was, I wish I had more for you for the true, like super hardcore people about it. I just don't, other than it was an awesome reminder of why I loved them so much, okay? Because they were my number one for a very long time. UVM even kind of like ruined it a little bit for me. Because like I said, I was like, geez, I like them, but maybe not as much as you do. Uh, and then I kind of shift over to different things. It's very hard to keep me for a really long amount of time. All right? I've probably gone like a year plus without ever listening to a song from them just because of how I would cycle through the bands or musicians or whatever genre I'm obsessed with at that point. But this was like the best reminder for me decades later to go, oh, this is why this is why you cared so much. This is why you loved it so much. And this is why there's thousands of people here that are going to be here after the Friday, Saturday and Sunday show. Uh, Kyle, I know you're going to want a recap of this. If we had four Stellas went to go for a massive Mick Ultra, which one of the guys that we were standing with grabbed my arms, called me a name when I said, maybe you just grab me one of those big Mick Ultras on the way out of here. Uh, and he was like, I can't believe you. I, I turned down all other products, which I don't think you're totally shocked by, but I did go at a slower little jam at the end. I was like, let me go get a couple, couple, let me get around for the boys and we'll close this thing out. And I went up and it was like 10.02. And they're like, we stopped serving beers at 10. I was like, all right. Just when you were going to get crazy, huh? Wow. Just when that fifth beer was going to put me <laughs> over the edge. <laughs> that fifth one was really going to, oh man, what a while. And so then that was, that was pretty much it. So made it home and watched the Grizzlies. I think, I don't know. I think it was on by 7 a.m. And all's well, like, yeah, you missed some poops games and, you know, the world didn't what? end, you know, and I didn't yeah, even you, miss it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. You're fine. Uh, I'm trying to, yeah, like I, so when I got to college you know, obviously I went to school in the Northeast too, but not UVM. I went to school in Connecticut. Um, and Hockey factory, Quinnipiac. That's right. What's up? National champs. No big deal. Although we didn't get a parade, which sucks. Uh, I remember like. COVID? I, in, in high school, I like didn't mind like so. So I kind of zagged from you like in high school, like I didn't mind like the Dave Matthews band scene. Like I was like, whatever, it wasn't my thing. But like, you know, I didn't hate it. And then I got to college and everybody was just blasting Dave Matthews all the time. And I just hate I like resented it. So, so I for you, like I it's I, I think go one of two ways. Like you could have been like, oh, fuck fish. Like, I don't like this, blah, blah, blah. Like too many people are into it <laughs> or. You know, you can be like, no, this is actually really great. And like, and then, and I'm, I'm, I like, sometimes I think I'm too negative on this stuff. And I kind of wish I didn't do that in college because I probably burned some bridges with people that really like Dave. But I think, you know, for you, like you were at the heart of the scene. So you kind of had to, you know, you had to be a fish fan. But I just, I just for some reason cannot picture you listening to this music. I just can't. Like, I know you, like, we, we talk about hip hop, we talk about, you know, different rock stuff. Like, you have a very eclectic taste in almost everything, especially music. I, for some reason, just cannot picture, like, maybe I need to go to a show with you because I just cannot picture you being a jam band guy. Oop yeah, I'm not. Maybe. No, the earring would have worked big time, uh, but I'm not noodling out or anything like that. I'm not getting my wook on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because one of our favorite fish show memories was, was a guy hit a nitrous balloon 
in the parking lot and he completely just fell back and was spazzing and people were freaking out. And it was like not even a main dude. It was just sort of like around in the mix, in the mix. And people were like, whoa, what's going on? And the guy was like spazzing and some wook was totally like, he really liked jam bands. And he was like, let him fish, man. Let him fish. Let him fish. <laughs> see, I, would, that was, yeah. great. I just could not be down with that. That's know. insane. So, yeah, no, that wasn't, that was never, I don't know. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Like of all the stereotypes that you would it have. It doesn't about seem me. like you're seen. Right. It's not. But yeah, I like, also doubt many people would think I'd go see Christian Scott Ajwa Tunde by myself. That's also fair. Yep. And, and stand in a fucking jazz club that one checks you know? out to me actually <laughs> oh does by it? yourself by yourself by in yourself the back of a jazz away? club <laughs> two towns over yeah that i'll, I'll that do actually does alone, check yeah. out for me <laughs> yeah. yeah just don't invite me dude <laughs> whatever yeah sorry kyle all good you're right i didn't realize you're right uh in my neck of the woods right at the bowl there i didn't even realize it either didn't even it's think right about there it. yeah yeah, yeah, right, right, there the, right the at the bowl there. This way, I'm pointing at it right now. Couldn't Next be closer. Time. Next time. Next there time, though. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old work outfit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day this is going to be hard to maintain but that's what the joggers do for you whether you're sort of business cash whether you're just around the house whether you're working out whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight it's soft it's comfortable you're never going to want to take them off Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class? That just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Ryan. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice cold reward. Rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. I think we've decided we're going to do some kind of Friday feedback thing once a month. We're still working on that. Um, TBD. All right, here we go. Uh, this one's for Kyle. So I'm going to get out of the way. Oh, man. Subject. Conduct as an aspiring cigarette smoker. <laughs> this guy <laughs> wants to get into it. It's terrible. This is already terrible. <laughs> he sees a market opportunity. <laughs> yeah. 
58155, 29 years old. This week, I'm lucky enough to be traveling to Portugal and Spain with a couple of friends. To get into the full spirit of European culture, I was looking to enjoy the occasional dart while out there. I've smoked few and far in between, but enjoy the taste. I'm an outgoing person and would like to use this temporary hobby as an opportunity to meet people while traveling. Looking for guidance on general conduct, what to get, and any rules of the smoking section while you're out there. Love the pod. Kyle? So you're asking me for European smoking rules? That's something I I wouldn't dare give you any. I wouldn't dare try to uh, tell you what's going on out there. I'd say take a look on where they're throwing those butts. If you think it's like cool to take one last long rip and flick that shit into the street, it might not be the same. Like it kind of is here. Um, not not great. You know, it's not. It's. Um, I don't know. I basically I would just say I would definitely get a, a read on where people are throwing. There's probably more ashtrays out there too. There's really there's it's it's a it's a small it's a very small population of ashtrays and i think it gets smaller by the day but i would take a look on where you throw those things because it might you know you might think you're looking cool and some you know cute girls like what the fuck was that dude go get that who knows so um I'd, i'd look at i'd definitely look at that i'd actually i'd get something that you know the people smoke over there maybe even do a little research um you know because that's where i used to meet girls was just outside you know at the bar <laughs> like because you know it, i never really wanted to do the whole like Hey, what's your name? I'm Kyle. What do you do? I'm just screaming in your ear at this bar. Outside, you can have a nice conversation. And um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd um, you know, have a cigarette that somebody's going to want when they ask you for them. Like, uh, that's the one thing I learned with Marlboro Reds. A lot of time people like, I'd get the, oh, no thanks, actually. They're like, hey, do you have a cigarette? I'm like, oh, sure. And they're like, oh, huh. wait. Hey, does that guy have a cigarette? Yeah, all right, I'll have a Camel Crush instead. So the the I, like the what brand is a marble? Like I know what a marble red is because I remember construction days, like early on. That's what guys guys made fun of dudes that used filters. What is <laughs> that's like the closest <laughs> thing to that? Yeah, right. Give me, give me the taste. What what is that first hit of a marble red like? Uh, I try. I've been trying to explain it too because I've been trying to explain why I'm not into like. Uh, vapes and and stuff like that because I just call it like a cut. It's not a cut, but I don't. It's like it cuts your throat. It's like a, it's like a punch. You feel it. You don't feel that with like a a, a vape and and even really with like a a bunch of the light cigarettes. I f- I feel like uh, old like now, I've been on Reds. So I had been on Reds for so long that it feels like you know a, like a Marlboro Light was sort of like a dirty air or something. Like it just doesn't doesn't taste much. Um. So yeah, Reds just. Uh, it's heavy. That's the way I could put it. I mean, it's called a cowboy killer for a reason. Uh, it's uh, it's it's just different. And even like cigarette smokers would be like, yeah, I haven't smoked red in, f- in 15 years, you know, something like that. Like, they're like, yeah, you should probably do yourself a favor and get off of those as they pull out their gold box of Marlboro lights. But uh, it's just it's just different. So I'd say like, you know, you you you, you if you want to meet people and stuff like that and you're not super like you don't feel like you need cigarettes and you want to use it as an accessory, I guess, which is something I haven't heard before. Um, I'd, I'd try to get ones that, you know, somebody is going to want to bum off of you because uh, there's there's nothing worse than like you feel like you're doing somebody a favor and then they're being like, oh, actually, no, you smoke the gross kind. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, don't get reds, I guess. If you're going I actually there. have a question, Kyle. Um, as a, I ran into this issue at like several bachelor parties i've been to recently where like we have a group of guys that none of them like smoke other than like maybe you know at the end of a wedding or at a bachelor party or some sort of outside function it's not like a Mm -hmm. we don't regularly buy cigarettes and you go to the package store and it's like what do we buy and i think we ended up buying marlboro lights but like we didn't know like what what 
you know, I don't know what, what was the right brand for us. Some dudes were like suggesting parliaments. What would you suggest is like what, for our demo? What is the cigarette we should be smoking? What is the cigarette of choice? <laughs> I mean, I feel like for your demo, it's like um, it's probably like spirits or something, right? I mean, people, the the healthy cigarette. I'm not really, but uh, maybe we're not maybe smoking like, that uh, many of them. So it doesn't have to be super healthy. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know if we're ready for the Marlboro Red scene. I, I I mean I'd say for you guys it's whatever whatever the guy who remembers smoking the most fondly <laughs> likes at that point it really doesn't matter yeah Slash I think I think Marlboro Marlboro Lights or or uh, Camel Blues that's a fun one um, fun looking pack um, yeah I don't know I think okay. it's whatever whatever the, whatever the guy remembers that wants him the most uh, but by the way this is life advice so I should just say don't get cigarettes <laughs> how about that this is life I would advice. I would run I didn't even think about that. If I'm this guy, I would just, if you have hair, run your fingers through your hair a lot when you exhale. That's what I see in Europe. Um, the, as far as like the taste Find part of it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have, Post I never up. smoked. Saruti, did you ever smoke? I like, again, I smoke at like bachelor parties and that's about it. You'll get a cigarette oh, in you smokes. if you're banged up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I start, I, I don't think I had a cigarette until in my until my 30s. And now, like at every bachelor party, it's like it's on. Yeah. But I don't smoke any other time than that, really. Got one coming up in June. Good times. I've inhaled so much secondhand smoke that I can't like what used to happen when I visit my grandmother at the nursing home and we would sit in there and, you know, it's your grandmother. You got to go visit her. But looking back on that, to be that young and then my sister who was that even younger than me four years younger than me and i'm going around lighting everybody up in the room in their <laughs> wheelchairs and would just sit there and breathe in their smoke for like two hours for our Thanks, visits kid right <laughs> and be like yeah this is cool go you know, up to like, that ashtray <laughs> it's like madmen shit you know like wait what did you do like and i think at that point we knew it wasn't exactly sweet uh, for you, but then the, all the bartending gear, specifically like those late '90s, early 2000s, and one place that I worked at pretty regularly that had the worst smoke eater ever, and I'd be like, "You guys got to get, you got to upgrade that thing." And they'd be cheap and pissy about it. They'd yell at me, and I'd be like, "You have to upgrade. Like we're fucking dying back here." And uh, so I was like, "I think I'm covered. I don't even need to because of all those." All right, uh, there you go. Good luck, man. <laughs> Good luck. All right, let's do a bike rack deal here. All right, HOA, dial it up. Okay, 28.57 on a good day. The Theo Epstein of Co-Rec Kickball Team Managers. Six championships wow. in two different cities. It's fucking great. I'm a newly married Six guy. <laughs> That's a lot of titles, man. Six <laughs> two rings. <laughs> the two cities was great. It was a nice touch. Newly married guy who just bought a condo in downtown Chicago. As someone who grew up in the burbs and moved away after college, I'm elated to finally experience a true Chicago summer with my wife. So pumped, in fact, that I recently bought a bike to get around this summer. We have a community bike rack in our building garage with 40 bike spots for a condo association of 200 plus residents. That math doesn't check out. All 200 obviously wouldn't have bikes. Needless to say, finding an open spot in the first come, first serve communal bike rack is a bitch and a half. I originally locked my bike on the side of the rack, but was immediately called out by the HOA for locking my bike illegally. They love stuff that's illegal. That is so not illegal. A violation. HOAs, HOAs live That's a that. violation. Like, what do you want to do? Be like, I better close the office. We had a bike fucking locked up on the side today. Yeah, I'm spent. <laughs> I'm going to need a personal day. After getting a slap on the wrist email, I went to bring my bike up to my condo, but was dumbfounded to find an actual spot open on the rack. 
Uh, it had a rope lock on the tire rack portion, but I was easily able to put my tire over the lock to mount my bike onto the rack. All right, so there is a rope lock already in the open spot. But no bike. But no bike. I mean, Fuck that. You can't, leave your, yeah, you can't yeah. leave your shit there just like for when I come back. No way. All right. Uh, fast forward a few days, 75 degrees, early April, fired up to bike to the lakefront. I rushed to the garage as soon as I clock out, only to find my bike has been physically removed from the rack and had a rather audacious anonymous note attached to the seat copied here. Uh, in summary, I have a neighbor who uses a rope lock to essentially call dibs on their bike rack in uh, the bike rack spot in hopes that no one will park in said spot once they leave. Locking the tire rack is their way of, quote, indicating they will be returning or like to store their bike in the same spot. The note signed. Let's read the note. It is attached here to the owner of this Gary Fisher. Not a person. <laughs> That's a bike. I commute daily via bicycle all year round. Oh, hardo alert. Chicago winter is I'm biking year round. My bike is more important than your bike. That's a lie. Yeah. Fuck you. I couldn't even walk across the street from the Drake to Equinox one day. I've been uh, doing this last five years. I've lived here. When I leave in the morning, I place my lock on the la on the last of the spot where my bike was. I do this to indicate. Anyway, I don't know. I could. I can't read everything here. I would do this to indicate that I will be returning and would like to store my bike in the same spot. I've never had any issues doing this until I returned home today, 417, and saw your bike parked and locked on top of my lock. On top of my lock. Lock. Yeah, I'm sure the lock is the lock. OK, I'm sure you could imagine my frustration. Could you please find another place to store your bike and not park your bike in a spot that has a lock on it in the future? Thanks. Your parentheses frustrated daily oh, bike God. commuting neighbor. Fuck this guy. <laughs> yes. What are we going to do, boys? So the email continues. Obviously, this is total bullshit. This is a perfect parallel to Rosillo's beef with Chipotle, Tabasco, thieves of the world. If everyone in the building did the same thing, there would never be any open spots and no one could ever use the first come first serve communal bike rack. I'm dying to write a rebuttal note with my name and number attached to call this person out of their bullshit. I even killed an hour by fine tuning an initial draft while my <laughs> wife was away this weekend. Uh <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole thing. Not mad. Not mad. He, he mentions me in the rebuttal. I go ahead. I don't <laughs> care, but I'm not reading the whole thing. My question is to you guys, should I show constraint and let this go? Should I just email the HOA, let them handle it? Do I leave the note? Do I take off my name number to make it anonymous? I'm leaning on attaching the draft as to my neighbor's bike, but would love to hear your advice. Thanks. and Love the pod. All right. Before I leave name and number and all that stuff, I would physically dial in who this guy is. I mean, we could pretend that doesn't matter, but it totally matters. You know, do a little recon. Somebody cut me off the other day. I looked and was like, I'm not dealing with that fucking guy. Right. I just sized it all up. There was a rim issue. There, there was a lot of stuff going on. I was like, yeah, let it, let it go. Let it go. I'm in LA now. I think you need to make sure, but the chances are this guy's a clown. All right. He, he is, he thinks he's more important than you are. Because you're the new owner. You fuck like the rent own thing is always great too. Like whenever I've lived in a place, it's like, oh, well, you're renting, right? Like, no, I bought it. Just to see how bummed out they are. No, I actually <laughs> bought it. Yeah. Like when I moved to the new place here, there's like seven old neighbors coming by being like, oh, you're the new tenant. No, I own it. Eye <laughs> level fuckers. Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, are you going to stay here long? I don't know. Might even upgrade. Who knows? 
And so, you know, this guy thinks that he's in charge of something here. His world is revolved around this thing and everybody's gotten out of his fucking way. I love the idea of you going master and commander full speed ahead. Right at him. Right in the crosshairs. But it's probably going to be a pain in the ass. All right. This guy, despite his heavy commute time, had time enough to write this note and just be a dick about it the whole time. And you're right. Like, this is the old Boston parking space thing during a snowstorm. Like, if you shoveled your car out, you kind of got dibs for a while. And that actually kind of made sense because you're the one that shoveled all that shit out of there. But then you'd see a milk crate on, like, May 3rd with a pebble next to it. And you'd go, all right, dude, enough. All right. <laughs> time in the town would, like, the city would have to announce all this stuff. It was, like, one of the funniest things that would happen in Boston in every Every winter, it was usually like a Southie thing more than anywhere else, not leaving out the other neighborhoods, but it always seemed to be a little bit more intense there. Uh, I would size him up. I would gather information, not stalkerish, but just kind of like, you know, play it out. See if you run into him every now and then. You also could, if you're new and you're saying this is a bit of an issue, you could play it out longer to like see how long this is going on. Because the, the key part of this is, is that it sounds like the bike issue is going to be a big issue. Do you need more time living there to realize, like, you know what, I can avoid this confrontation here? Because this guy sucks, all right? And sometimes even going at the guy that sucks, like, as much as we're all rooting for you and you want to do it, and I don't think there's, this is one of those emails where everybody listening is probably on the same page, but, you know, sometimes these these guys are brutal to deal with, and it, you just end up getting more stressed out. So I would size it up, take inventory, and like, wait, how much of a challenge is this going to be every single day? Um, but. It sounds like it is going to be that big of a problem. So I don't know that there's like, hey, do this or here's some awesome trick. Because the other thing, too, is if you fuck with him too much and now he knows what your bike is, you know, who knows? Brake cable goes missing. Maybe some weird scratch that never happened before. You know, you've got to worry about that. So you got to be a little cautious, like how aggressive you have to go at him. I would get more information on him. I would figure it out. I would get more data on like how bad the bike storage thing actually is. but. You could do this. I don't like doing this and like telling. This is kind of what the HOAs are there for. All right. But he's going to see you, even if you make it anonymous, like he's going to, if he took the time to do this note, at some point you're going to cross paths and he's going to see you unlocking your Gary Fisher from another spot. And then he's going to know it's you if you told on him. So I like the more direct thing of like, why do you think you get a private spot and none of us do? You know, ask him it straightforward. When the confrontation happens, go, I saw your note. I think you're wrong. Tell me, explain to me, convince me why you deserve a spot more than the rest of us, and maybe I'll change my mind. And his argument won't be strong enough. He'll say it's commute. He'll say you're around, which is probably a lie. And you'd be like, okay, not good enough. When I lock up my bike, <laughs> yeah. I'm locking up my bike. And if it happens to be your open spot, so be it. But then he's probably going to do something to your bike. Kyle? Yeah, younger me would have snipped the lock, took the bike seat, threw that shit in the woods, you know, something like that. But I mean, you know, the younger me wouldn't be a, a homeowner in this nice little condo complex. Um, I think, uh, I mean, anonymous note, that's just the biggest like bitch move. I think it's so whack. Um, you know, if you, if, if you put, if you put a note and say like who it's from, like there was somebody wrote us a note in our old ringer building uh, about something about like the bathroom or, or turn the lights off in the bathroom or this is our bathroom. You're not supposed to use it. It was like in between the two floors. And there was like a note war back and forth. Like, no war. Just, just people would, yeah, huge note war back and forth until one of the managers was like, all right, guys, we're getting out. This is the last note. We're on top. We're leaving. But um, the anonymous note thing is just so whack. I would, I, I got no problem going to the HOA and be like, hey, listen, you know, I just want to kind of get the rules down. I kind of, 
you know, I, I put my bike on the There's side no of rule. this rack. Cause right. It, right. Go ahead. Sorry. Like, right. But I'm saying, but I'm just saying like, like you already got burned by the HOA. Like, I don't know if you got a ticket or just a talking to, I think he didn't get a ticket. Right. But it's just like, Hey, so there's, is there like Email. a spot I need to pay for or something? Cause some dude left a note on my bike, basically said I'm in his spot. Like that's that all would you be could, funny. Like, you just That'd say be like, funny. Be like, Hey, there's another guy apparently that paid to be able to keep his lock on all this. Can I sign up for that service? <laughs> right. Yeah, that email yeah. goes around, and then yeah. <laughs> you basically out of this guy. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I kind of that's what I would have done. I kind of feel like you know this guy's an asshole, and it sucks. And you know, but like, I guess look at it from his shoes. Like, if he, if he, if you do notice the bike is gone daily, and he is actually driving it to work, like, I think about how Uh-oh. much. Of a sh- no, I'm just saying. Think about how much of a shitty situation that would be if every day before and after work he'd have to figure out his bike situation when you're really only using it for like leisure, it sounds like on the weekends. So I'm again, I'm not trying to say that you don't have priority over this person. This seems like an HOA issue. Can we just get another fucking bike rack? Like, why can we not get another bike rack? Obviously, this one's full. You should complain to the HOA and be like, this is the problem. Like, I pay my fees like and I'm not able to even use this service. So we need another bike rack or otherwise, like there's going to be some sort of uprising with the bike community here. So, I, you know, this guy's a dick and I and it is what it is. But I, at the end of the day, like the only solution here for everyone is just to get another bike, a bigger bike rack. You know, I think I misspoke when I said everybody listening to this. The bike guys are not the bike. People are always mad. Anybody challenges them ever like the Albert Breer post still to this day blows my mind. He was driving from wherever he needed to go to the airport. And there was like eight bike guys that took up the entire lane. And there was traffic backed up a couple miles and he was going to be like late and missed his flight. And he took a picture of it and was like, I can't believe this. Like they can't just move over a little bit. Yeah. And the bike community coming out, telling him it was his fault. He didn't leave an hour <laughs> earlier. Yep. Bike mafia. I yep. was like, holy <laughs> shit. And as somebody who put in some road bike miles during the pandemic, like it's not great all the time. Cars not paying enough attention, not giving you a ton of space. But there's also like, you know, the property taxes don't go to these roads because of bikes, right? <laughs> so um I think there will be some in the bike communities like if he actually is in fact commuting every single day that he he gets priority. Okay, okay. So then what happens? Like what if you commute what if what if he does zoom one day a week? What if he's what if he zoom two days a week, you know? Like what is that imaginary line where it's okay for him to do it? Maybe he just bullet everybody else and you're the hero the rest of the community needs. Yeah. Okay, thanks to uh Fish thanks to Kyle thanks to Steve that's life advice that's our episode please subscribe download Ryan Russell podcast for your Spotify